All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you on this November 15th, 2016. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also uh, the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, and I, uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in a partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes an excellent newsletter called What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling? And you can sign up for both of those letters by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. I also like to encourage all of you uh, to send along your questions and comments, criticisms and praises to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Novo Resources, Klondike Gold, Aran Resources, and Ariane Phosphate. I've titled today's show, What Can Stop Big Bank Gold Price Suppression? And our guests this week are James Anderson, and for the first time in this show's eight-year history, whistleblower Andrew McGuire will be with me at about half past the hour. Unfortunately, Michael Oliver cannot be with us, but in just a few minutes, I will be passing along a few of his weekend remarks on the gold markets, which I'm sure a lot of you are wondering about and uh, feeling some anxiety about perhaps following the volatile action of that market uh, following the election. Well, last Tuesday about this time, voters were in fact going to the polls in the United States and hours later, the Trump earthquake occurred. And as the various states were going for uh, Trump, as they were moving in in his column, the odds of a Trump victory increased. And as that happened, markets reacted as you would expect, gold surged higher. I think it was up 40 bucks or so. Uh, and uh, the Dow futures, though, were down 800 points. But shortly after the election uh, results were in, both gold stocks and stocks suddenly reversed course. Gold was smacked down especially hard, which is odd given the behavior of the T-bond markets, and also, uh, which were also hit very, very hard, meaning that uh, yields rose dramatically. Uh, and the dollar also rose very dramatically at uh, up to around 100 on the index, which is where it is today even. Um, From the collective movements of the markets, I think the mainstream view apparently goes something like this. A Trump presidency really does mean making America great again, making the American economy strong again, thus justifying higher interest rates and a stronger dollar. In other words, there's a good reason Uh, along that line of thinking for interest rates to rise. Interest rates will rise because we're going to have a strong economy. Uh, The other part of that uh, mainstream uh, narrative is, given America's strength under Donald Trump, there is every reason to own the dollar 
and to get rid of gold. Well, there is no one better than today's main guest, namely Andrew McGuire, to examine the validity of those volatile markets moves following uh, the election, um, especially when it comes to the gold markets and the silver markets, because as well as anyone alive, Andrew has an understanding of the anti-gold market players who manipulate the price of gold lower, uh, which helps to keep the public disinterested in exchanging what is what in moral terms, if not legal terms, is counterfeit fiat money. And uh, certainly, the counterfeiters do not want you to think in terms of dumping paper money in favor of uh, natural money, the money that markets always choose when given the freedom to do so. In just a few minutes, uh, I will be speaking with James Anderson. He's the CEO of New Legacy Gold. He'll update us on that company's pursuit of what is showing some really promising signs uh, of, of perhaps outlining, uncovering the next major gold discovery along the Carlin trend in that very famous, prolific gold-bearing trend in Nevada. I want to comment a bit before we go to our first commercial break on the Metals Investor Forum that I attended and was a part of this past weekend. First, let me say it was gratifying to meet in person a number of the listeners to this show who really enjoy the unique content provided here. And they voice their appreciation for what they perceive to be an honest message about the economy and geopolitics. Well, during this show, uh, doing this show is certainly not making me an exceptionally wealthy man by any means, though it does help me and Mrs. Taylor to uh, to enjoy a middle-class existence. So we're grateful for that. The show, like my letter, is a labor of love to a great extent. And I'm really blessed to be able to earn a living doing what I enjoy, namely analyzing gold mining company prospects, keeping up with the economy and markets, and reading and gaining insights into geopolitics, not from the mainstream, which is largely propaganda, but from non-mainstream sources that ring true. For example, the work of William Engdahl is one source that a couple of the listeners that I met up in Vancouver said they really appreciate. And I do expect to have William Angdo on this show in the near future, probably in the next couple of weeks or so. Well, three of the four sponsors to this show presented their stories at the forum. Uh, Novo Resources, Klondike Gold, and RN Resources were at the show. Uh, regarding Novo Resources, its shares, like the shares of all the junior mining companies, have been hit hard during the, this, uh, price gold, this gold price uh, correction, especially during the first few post-election days. But I had some time with Dr. Henning, who is very optimistic that we will see some very high-grade gold assays coming very soon from the Blue Spec deposit, and, uh, and how that may well play into the company's good fortunes sooner rather than later. And I believe some of the things that, uh, that he told me uh, will come into public view over the next few weeks. And those, in, and those events could, in my view, drive Novo shares very higher, well, uh, very much higher. Well, in fact, today we are seeing a bit of a turn in the gold markets, and Novo shares are up fairly sharply, uh, as are most of the gold mining shares. And this is coming, I think, from the prospects of gold holding that very important $1,200 level. And that seems to be a very key technical level. And um, gold is showing a bit of strength today, and the gold shares have really uh, risen very dramatically. Uh, Klondike Gold, I I spoke to Peter Talman. I expect to have uh, Dr. Quinton, by the way, on the show in uh, in the near future again, as well as Peter Talman of Klondike, who was also at the Metals Investor Forum. He gave the geological reasons to be certain that most of the gold from which the great Placer 
mining operation in Yukon came from, that is the, the uh, load source for, of that placer gold, is still there. He gave the geological reasons for believing that it's there. And, of course, the company has had some very high-grade gold intercepts and uh, surface samples that they've picked up recently. So there certainly is still gold in the load source. Uh, the question now is how much, and, of course, that's what Klondike Gold is spending money to delineate. Uh, I also had lunch with Ivan Bebek and Jay Adelar of RN Resources on Saturday, and I just can't say enough good about this company's prospects. They are all very large and high, high really large-scale, uh, world-class prospects. The idea of iron uh, is to do just enough drilling. Their 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 um, modus operandi is to drill just enough, just do enough exploration to attract a good price from the world-class gold producers. Um, now, whether a major comes along and buys the whole company uh, for its entire portfolio or whether RN sells off its various projects independently, um, you know, either way, I, if I'm confident, uh, I'm very confident, in fact, that RN will deliver large gains for, for shareholders just simply because of the track record and also because having looked at the uh, geological prospects, the prospects of this company, of the various properties in British Columbia, in Nunavut, and now several in uh, in Peru, I think the chances are very, very good uh, that one or, or most of them will come up big. So I'm, I'm very optimistic. It is my second largest holding personally, and uh, I just feel very good about this company. Time will tell if I'm right or not, but that's I'm just passing along my views. Regarding the gold price, uh, which has been hit so hard following the elections, uh, I just want to pass along a couple of remarks that Michael Oliver made this past weekend uh, to his subscribers, to his paid subscribers. Uh, He said, and I quote, "Uh, MSA remains resolutely bullish and asserts that a long-term annual momentum uptrend is underway. Exit if you must, based on your own level of risk tolerance. And he notes that each investor... Uh, an asset manager is different, f- after all, with respect to their risk tolerance. But he says, uh, or if your time scale of, of participation is short term, then you might want to exit if you must do that. However, Michael is not advocating that at all. He is resolutely bullish on gold and taking the longer term view as he does, which is one of the reasons I really enjoy and profit from his work. Uh, he is suggesting that you should not exit gold. In fact, he said this annual. The, this annual bull signal is simply too young, has not reached any levels of upside excess, and the downturn on long-term momentum charts in the current sell-off is not negating that which was screaming by gold's annual momentum breakout in February. Anyway, those are the, uh, the comments from Michael Oliver, who remains, as he says, resolutely bullish, and today's action in the market certainly seemed to be justifying that view. Time will tell. Um, nobody knows for sure where the price of gold is going to be tomorrow. And, well, not most people anyway. Some people seem to have more say about that than others, and that's one of the reasons uh, we want to talk to Andrew McGuire at about a half past the hour. But before we get to Andrew, we also are going to be talking to James Anderson right after the commercial break. Uh, New Legacy Gold may be in the process of finding the fourth major gold deposit along the prolific Carlin trend. So don't go away. We'll be right back with James Anderson. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Orin Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Spec Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the Symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me, once again, James Anderson. He's the CEO of New Legacy Gold. Now, I, I should correct myself. I had mentioned that their property, uh, their gold target, is located on the Carlin trend. No, the Carlin trend uh, was perhaps the first of the major prolific gold trends discovered in Nevada, but there's also the Cortez trend, which is where uh, New Legacy's iceberg project is located. Uh, and that is another very prolific trend also, and uh, New Legacy is uh, is exploring what could be the fourth major deposit uh, along that trend. There's three that have been outlined so far. Uh, and so James is very optimistic about the prospects of New Legacy, and rightfully so, because to the north, uh, there is the pipeline deposit, uh, which... Uh, has some 21 million ounces, grading 2.2 grams per ton. Then trending a little to the southeast, there's, uh, there uh, is Cortez Hills with 15 million ounces, grading 4.1 grams per ton. And then Barrick is drilling the gold rush target uh, just north of, uh, of the iceberg uh, and uh, a long trend. Uh, and that is uh, some 10 million ounces, grading 10.2 grams per ton. Those are amazing, amazingly high-grade numbers uh, for the, that large number of ounces of gold. So uh, iceberg is is right along line, and and so James has a lot of uh, reasons, and there's some good results have come forth from early exploration efforts. Uh, so thank you very much for uh, joining us again t- today, James, and I, I hope you can. Uh, give us some insight here as to how things are going and and uh, what the prospects are for your company. Yeah, thanks very much, Jay, for having me on again. Just uh, you know, further to some of your comments, just to uh, give your listeners some idea about the, uh, the the Carlin trend and the Cortez trend and and what all that means. That uh, we're operating in the Cortez trend in Nevada, which is really Barrick gold mining country, but all of the major deposits in this area are Carlin style deposits. 
Um, Carlin-type gold mineralization has only been identified in, in four different places on the planet. But in Nevada, these very large Carlin-type deposits are exploited by some of the major gold mining companies, and the, the deposits are very large. Um, 85% of U.S. gold production comes from Nevada, and 85% of Nevada gold production comes from these Carlin deposits. So they're very large, very important deposits. Yeah, I um, would like you to give our listeners a sense of the economic value. I mean, we're, we're looking, I should mention to our listeners, uh, that you trade in Toronto under the symbol NUG, and you can buy it down here in the U.S. under the symbol NULGF. Uh, there's about 289 million shares outstanding, and I looked at the uh, at, at the price earlier today. It was around 20 cents. It may have ticked up a little bit since then because the gold shares are doing well. But that gives you a market cap around 60 million dollars. Now, uh, help us understand, James. And of course, we're not saying anything is a foregone conclusion because we know that this is a risky business. There's always, you know, you never know what you've got until you've done extensive drilling and all the science behind it and to determine right. whether it's economic to mine it and all that. There's lots and lots of work to be done. These are early days, but you do have some good sniffs uh, at something extraordinary, potentially. So with a $60 million market cap, can you put that in some sort of a context with respect to some of those other big elephant-sized gold deposits to the northwest of you? Right, so I think when you put it into a context like that, Jay, uh, all, all of the junior mining companies will always want to tell you that they're right beside very large, very important deposits and that they might have one similar to that. I think that the, the Cortez trend is as good a place as any place on the planet to look for and discover a gold deposit. And I'll just give your listeners a couple of statistics to kind of back that up. Barrick mines over 1 million ounces of gold per year from their operations in the Cortez Trend, from principally from Pipeline and Cortez Hills, there's a there's a five mile conveyor belt joining those two deposits. So give, just to give you a, a um, an illustration of just you know the 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 robust nature of these very large deposits and how many people work at them. But it's a million ounces of gold that they mine per year. So that is twenty percent of the production of the largest gold mining company in the world. The production comes right from this this one area. So I think that's um, one illustration. Another illustration is Barrick's all-in sustaining cost for last year from this operation was $602. Hmm. So if they're selling gold at $1,200, it's $600 million worth of profit that they get from that. So cash flow, and I don't have a specific cash flow number from Barrick, but I'm going to say it's $800 million dollars. Mm -hmm. that they got last year from cash flow from this operation. And when you look at Barrick's overall financial picture, they make an enormous amount of money in Nevada and in Cortez and, and also at their gold strike operation to the north in the Carlin Trend proper. Um, if you look at all of the other places that, that they go everywhere else in the world, they don't make the kind of money that they do here and certainly not in, a, the, in the type of politically safe jurisdiction that Nevada is. Mm-hmm. Well, those are some pretty robust numbers. I mean, uh, well, sort of mine life. Well, you have $800 million a year, uh, and that compares to your current market cap, uh, as I mentioned, uh, under $60 million U.S. But, of course, uh, as I say, lots of work to be done yet. And um, But, you know, it just I, – I, thanks for that, James, because I think that helps to put in, pers- in perspective what might be if things pan out. And I, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about um, – 
uh, a little bit about the evidence and the progress that you've made on your pro- on your project so far that gives you hope that that something big may be in the offing. Right. Well, just to speak to some of the challenges when you're exploring these Carlin-type deposits, that they they are a, a very di- difficult geological beast to explore. You'll drill holes and and come up with excellent good excellent grade, and then you step away from that, and the grade peters out. But then you step out again, and the grade pops up again. They are amoeba-like in mm-hmm. their shape, so they're they're very difficult to explore, but as evidenced by some of the statistics that I just gave you a minute ago, the prize can be enormous. Mm-hmm. What we've outlined so far at Iceberg is a near-surface oxide deposit. It's about 10,000 feet in length, uh, anywhere between 800 and 1,000 feet wide. We've had some excellent results. Uh, frankly, the last bit of results that we announced a month ago or so uh, we're a little bit mediocre, and you know, uh, people were mildly disappointed in that. But in this type of exploration with this type of deposit, you have to be very persistent and consistent in your exploration approach. And I, I think we're we're continuing to do that. And uh, your listeners will be able to to see additional drill results before the the end of the month. All right, and uh, you know, I saw some reference in. Uh, I think it was. I think it was an October uh, press release that you talked about a deep hole, a 2,500 plus foot core hole, as a step out from the uh, avocado uh, hole number two, I guess it is. Uh, so, what can you tell us about the exploration plans uh, throughout the rest of this year um, and 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 this deep hole, and what do you expect uh, to gain? What sort of geological information or project information you expect to gain from that a hole like that which has to be a very expensive hole i would think it is um okay so let me just back up a little bit for your readers so uh, and listeners so uh, first of all um I, I was talking about the iceberg deposit the iceberg deposit is one part of a very large land package that we've got in the in the cortez trend so it's yeah. 30 it's 38 square miles that we're exploring there and there is no other junior that has anywhere near that size of claim block in this part of the world. So that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that makes New Legacy very unique. The iceberg deposit where we've been exploring, uh, it's near surface and oxidized, but we made a major new discovery about two months ago uh, at a place about a mile and a half north of Iceberg called Avocado. And it's called Mm -hmm. Avocado because that's the shape of a geophysical um, signature that we have had at that area for some time. Now, we didn't want to spend too much money during the downturn chasing different geophysical and geochemical uh, anomalies along the property, but we drilled a couple holes this year into Avocado. One of them got quite an extraordinary result. It's 200 meters in a drill hole, 200 meters worth of quarter gram gold mineralization. Now, the quarter Mm. gram is quite, quite low grade, and it's fairly deep, so that in and of itself, we're not promoting as being an economic interval. However, the implications of finding that much continuous gold mineralization in a brand new area where we're just drilling our second, third, and fourth drill holes out there, that's what's very exciting. It's at the same stratigraphic horizon and at, the, and at roughly the same depth as Barrick's Gold Rush deposit, which is just across the valley from us, which contains 10 million ounces of gold at a very high grade, 10 grams per ton. Very, very similar ge- geological setting. So 
the, the rationale for us continuing to explore there is that we feel very strongly that we're on the outskirts, on the, the edge of another big Carlin-type deposit here, which would make two Carlin deposits that we've discovered on this big uh, property. Mm, very exciting. Uh, is there some thought that it might be uh, uh, the same system or the same geological connection, the same deposit connection with uh, with Barrick, or that's... I guess you just don't know that, but is there any any idea in terms of the structure about that? Is it that your geologists uh, they have any any ideas about that? Well, all of these deposits seem to be you know structurally controlled. They're more they're more on echelon and, mm-hmm. and separated by about a five mile um, separation each one of them. Right. So I, right. I don't I don't think necessarily that that this deposit will be exactly connected with Barrick's deposits, but mm-hmm. neither are those deposits connected with one another. So the they happen in, in groups and in pods, and um, at least where we're working right now, seemingly in a in, in a line um, northwest to southeast. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the good Lord didn't put these things in a straight line. If if they did, if he did, that would, <laughs> that would be very very easy to explore and discover. Uh, so it's not quite that easy, but um, certainly at the same stratigraphic horizon. So in the in the very same rock types that the other giant deposits. Uh, are in this in this area that's where we're getting our gold and i think that's from a geological perspective that's very exciting and that's the important part and that's what we're trying to uh, to follow up on uh, what one more comment too jay because you were asking about the deep core hole so yes. we we drilled two reverse circulation holes into this area they're a little cheaper to do and when we're first starting to explore a new area that's certainly what we want to do but at this stage we want to drill a core hole to give us better understanding of the of the lithological units through this area it's going to be a deep hole because we want to make sure that we go all the way through this geophysical target and frankly despite the fact that we got 200 meters worth of gold mineralization in that and avocado hole number two we're not completely confident that we got all the way through the geophysical target so we want to make sure that we get deep enough most of these deposits are layered so you'll have one horizon and then a little deeper, another horizon of gold mineralization and another horizon of gold mineralization. That's certainly the case both at Pipeline, um, but even more so at Cortez Hills, uh, another one of these big deposits is just down the block from us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess you're not necessarily, I mean, investors and listeners shouldn't be looking for a sort of a glory hole necessarily what you're doing is drilling for structure to a great extent to help your understanding your geological understanding of what of what uh, mother nature has given you there i think that there will be more opportunity to really expand the, the this new deposit and to have much better grade let's say in some of our drilling in the spring i, I wouldn't necessarily hold my hat that we're going to have much better grade with the hole that we're drilling right now, what we wanted to do is to drill the core hole very close to the RC hole that we just completed so that we would be able to compare the two and make sure that we understand the rocks and the oxidation levels in both of those holes and be able to compare and contrast. Conversely, you just never know with grade in these in these Carlin deposits. Grade changes very, very quickly. So we might end up being 50 meters away from the um, the RC hole, you know, could could the grade change dramatically? It, yes, it actually could, and we certainly see evidence of that at Iceberg and the rest of these deposits. 
Mm-hmm. I noticed that you just raised $4.5 million, and that was a part of, I think, maybe twice that amount you were planning to, to raise, but you're, I, th- I think you're waiting to see what comes out of this deep hole before you, uh, before you raise some more money, perhaps, or you want to stop and reflect on what you learned from that deep hole to, to set up your drill program uh, maybe for next year or to start of next year. Do I have that right? Yes, more or less. But we, we announced the private placement. Um, we were able to close about half of it. And in the meantime, uh, gold and gold stocks have continued to, to go south, and ours, is not, um, you know, ours has not been different than that. So we closed that part of the private placement, but that adds to a pretty robust treasury that we've got. We've currently got about 17 million Canadian dollars, mm. which equates to about 12.5 million US dollars. New Legacy is in the best financial shape that it has ever been in. We own 100% of this project now, uh, having earned our interest and then swapped some shares um, for Barracks, 30% interest earlier in the year. So we own 100% of it, 12.5 million US dollars in the treasury. Um, our list of supportive shareholders includes Oceana Gold, which is our largest shareholder, Barrick, and the Tocqueville Gold Fund from New York. Uh, they've been extremely supportive as well. So our list of supportive shareholders is very strong, 100% of the project and a very strong treasury so that we can begin to explore the property even more, even more dramatically in March of next year. All right. Uh, maybe in summary, then, what, what would you say the single most important reason people should maybe add a few of your shares to their portfolio? It's the prospects of something of hitting something really, really significant. And I mean, what, how would you say somebody said, hey, uh, Anderson, why should I? You're, you're not making any money. Uh, you know, you why should I put some? Right. Why should I? Yeah. Why, 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 why should anyone speculate in New Legacy? Yeah. Right. Because we've got a, We've got a 38 square mile land package in the best place to find a gold deposit anywhere on the planet. And we've got lots of good drill results. We don't quite know how big the, uh, these deposits might be just yet, but in the neighborhood, there are 10 and 20, 20 million ounce deposits, which are, which are the cornerstone of Barrick's exploration uh, success in Nevada. No, I would think also that, uh, you know, in, in my way of thinking, a company like Oceana obviously sees something uh, potentially very big there they wouldn't be putting their money in there as well so james i want to thank you very much it's very interesting very interesting story for sure and uh, uh thank you very much and we hope to keep up with you in the future with uh, with the progress that you're making there yeah it's always nice talking to you jay thanks for the opportunity thank you very much well folks that's all the time we have for this segment but don't go away because right after the break andrew mcguire will be with us and we'll get his opinion on what has caused the gold price to fall so dramatically after it's significant rise on the news of Donald Trump's presidency. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Andrew McGuire, whistleblower Andrew McGuire. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. 
Ariane Phosphate is the owner of the world's largest greenfield phosphate project. Unlike other fertilizer nutrients such as potash and nitrogen, phosphate is in deficit in most areas of the world, including right here in North America. It has no substitute and is necessary if we're to grow our crops. Unlike the Middle East and North Africa, which controls most of the world's phosphate, Ariane is situated in mining-friendly Quebec and, once in production, will reduce North America's growing reliance on foreign supply. With a market cap representing just 4% of its $2 billion NPV, Ariane may be the answer to growth in investors' portfolios while ensuring the safety of our food supply. Ariane, D-A-N on the TSXV and D-R-R-S-F in the U.S. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really excited and pleased to have with me for the first time Andrew McGuire. And I would imagine most of you are familiar with Andrew McGuire, at least uh, know, of, know of him as that whistleblower in the uh, precious metals markets. Uh, but for those of you who may not be that familiar, uh, it, it's sort of good, I think, to see uh, what Andrew uh, is about and what he has accomplished and what he what he's done, uh, he sits on the board. Uh, uh, he sits on the advisory board of the Allocated Bullion Exchange, uh, and is a consultant and advisor to many international hedge fund managers, bullion banks, directors, and metal traders globally. All of whom rely on his highly recognized field of expert market analysis and incredibly accurate ability to forecast. In 2009, Andrew decided to go public. Uh, and provided evidence to the U.S. regulators relating to fraud and price manipulation that was being committed globally in the international gold and silver markets. This put him at the uh, epicenter of a storm for exposing what could be the largest fraud in history involving countries, banks, and government leaders, which is still an ongoing investigation and does not deter him in his determination to see fair play for all on the trading fields. He currently advises many other legal firms who are involved in bringing to justice criminal acts within the financial world and rely on his expert advice. Uh, well, Andrew, thank you so much for, for joining me today. I mean, you, um, you're somebody that I have really looked up to because of this sort of moral imperative uh, to, uh, you know, to straighten out and to get rid of this criminal activity. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Jay, it's a real pleasure to be with you. You know, I, I was looking up, uh, do a little bit of background on you, and Wikipedia uh, said this about you. It said, on, on 29th of March, 2010, Andrew McGuire was interviewed on the radio show Gold Antitrust Action Committee, board, with Gold Act Antitrust Action Committee, Adrian Douglas. Uh, Andrew went public in 2010 with assertions of market manipulation by J.P. Morgan Chase and HSBC of the gold and silver markets, prompting a number of lawsuits, including a class action lawsuit. Uh, and the uh, and uh, it went on to say, 
uh, McGuire said, and I quote, J.P. Morgan acts as an agent for the Federal Reserve. They act to halt the rise of gold and silver against the U.S. dollar. J.P. Morgan is insulated from potential losses on their short positions by the Fed and or the U.S. taxpayer. And then uh, uh, the, um, the Wikipedia went on to say, no one at J.P. Morgan is familiar with Andrew McGuire, said uh, a J.P. Morgan spokesman. Well, that's kind of hard to believe, but H- HSBC declined to comment. And it, it also notes that McGuire was not a former Goldman Sachs trader, as many have reported, although uh, you did work with J. Aaron and Company, which was acquired later by Goldman Sachs. I'm quite familiar with that, as a matter of fact, um, I, I know someone who had worked uh, with uh, w- w- that had worked with Jay Aaron and company. So, anyway, uh, does Wikipedia have this more or less right? Well, I think uh, I mean there's a lot. <laughs> I think Wikipedia <laughs> changes from time to time. Yeah, of course, and, people uh, go in and add and subtract things. So who knows? <laughs> Anybody can go in there and say whatever they want in Wikipedia, right? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't been on there for probably a couple of years or so. Uh, okay. Um, but, so maybe uh, you can up, uh, update us a little bit on on some of these lawsuits uh, and what what how are they standing these days? Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the big frustrations, JJ, um, no doubt about this, is that um, I think uh, and we won't go into it, the specific details, and I think people, you know, it's unnecessary to do so. But I gave um, eighty eight examples of uh, where price the price of gold and silver was going to fix uh, within twenty four. Uh, to 48 hours to the regulators and um, many of them in real time and some of them ahead of time, most of them ahead of time. And um, what they failed to do was turn up and um, I I always likened it to uh, me telling the police there's going to be a bank robbery at a bank machine at three o'clock tomorrow. Can you, can you turn up? And they don't turn up and Mm-hmm. Say, look, it's going to happen again tomorrow, and they still don't turn up. And 88 times later, they don't turn up. So I, I, it was pretty frustrating. But eventually, um, I had some good lawyers, and we engaged the CFTC. Um, very frustrating process. Um, and uh, everyone knows Bart Shulton, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. I know he, he gets a lot of heat. He had a lot of heat, uh, but at least he was the only one answering phone calls. He certainly uh, agreed with my evidence and uh, was making comments about fraudulent uh, actions, acts mm-hmm. in, the, in the market. So, you know, again, a lot of people targeted him simply because he was the only guy that ever responded. But um, I think ended up, bottom line, in front of the DOJ and showed them evidence. And the one comment, the only comment that could be made was after looking at this evidence and seeing who was involved, and it was more than the banks you talk about, there was uh, quite a few banks involved. Uh, the only comment was, well, what about the economic consequences of this? Ah. So that, of course, was extremely frustrating. Now, I, I do know that the evidence we provided them had to be uh, what forced some recent uh, uh, settlements and uh, with, I think, um, we, we saw some recent settlements uh, and some charges uh, laid and, and fines being instigated against some of these banks and we all know Deutsche Bank was involved. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, but But I think what's interesting is even though this evidence hasn't officially been acted on. It obviously provided some kind of conduit into 
you know, when you, when you provide them the exact names of people, uh, exactly what communication methods, uh, which phone calls, etc., that they were all on, uh, and their names and their senior names, uh, obviously there has to come to a point where where where, where they um, they have to do something about it. But I think it's not being put into the public. Um, it's not it's not being discussed publicly uh, all these settlements seem to be slaps on the wrist much like LIBOR was big slap on the wrist uh, big f- uh, f- what, 14 billion dollar fine uh, we're seeing big fines now being it being but these are just these are just these are just uh, you know it's peanuts to, to these yeah. banks this is just right. a, a cost of doing business right. uh, but no charges and this is the point no charges get made and what really annoys me is the fact that you know, when this is a real-world situation, I mean, we are talking about the manipulation of commodities that affect real people's lives. And you know, when we see, uh, two thousand eight was when it really affected me, and and I saw um, the price of silver drop from what twenty-one down to eight and a half in a matter of two, three or four months. But what that did was put entire communities out of work. Mm-hmm. It put it shuttered minds. It uh, and and um, I had um, at the time we got the interest of uh, Panorama, which was the uh, BBC, uh, like your sixty minutes. I guess a lot of people mm-hmm. know what Panorama mm-hmm. is here, very well respected, uh, and they spent almost five six months with me uh, with the cameras looking at me, saying, "Example, oh, look at this chart here. Let's. This is where gold's going to be." at three o'clock this afternoon let's go and have some lunch and we'll come back and it'll be here and bang we come back and they go oh my god this is this is incredible you know <laughs> so but you could have made a fortune yeah you could have done but i'd also be a part of the problem um and i'd be responsible for later on they went out and filmed in bolivia and filmed gravestones of people who committed suicide in bolivia um because they couldn't feed their families so you know it, 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 that is what really struck me is that you know you, it, without these banks have no social conscience mm-hmm. and and i think that was the 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 thing that drove me to um to just to 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 to, to try and blow the whistle and to at least get some action on these um, on these criminal acts yeah and uh, but recently we've seen um, so now that's all in a nutshell so in other words mm-hmm. no one can see inside that that's what's going on we can just see there's some fines being instigated but I think what is interesting now is that the class action suit that was recently, I'm sure you know all about this. It's done in you saw it in New York recently. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, for the first time, um, been afforded some some degree of discovery. And although Deutsche Bank may have got immunity from the DOJ and the regulators, they don't have immunity when it comes to civil suits. Mm-hmm. And they have agreed to provide evidence. Uh, uh, if it's asked for, and if it's if it's c- correctly asked for, obviously you can't ask for everything. You're not, you're not going to get it, but you need to, you know it needs to be rifle shotted at uh, the kind of evidence that we gave to the regulators, and I think then it will come out. So I think, mm-hmm. long story short, this will actually come out. And even though the regulators may have kept it under the radar, when this if it gets to discovery, now here's my only concern mm-hmm. is that. If I was in the shoes of these crooked banks, what would I do? I would avoid going to discovery. I would just settle. 
And yeah. that's my only concern, is that um, no admissions have been made. Uh, the yeah. pedestrian view is, 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 is that it has, but there hasn't been any admissions made. Uh, all, they've, all they've done is, um, is agree to, uh, is get the courts to agree to, to provide some degree of discovery. Mm-hmm. So that's my concern. I think yeah. if, if that occurs and if they do settle before any discovery is afforded, there's still plenty of opportunity for fresh suits to come out of the woodwork. And I'm talking from uh, the point of view of producers who've lost money all the way up the line and uh, in different countries. It doesn't have to be in the U.S. It can be yeah. in other countries. So mm-hmm. this thing will not stay uh, under covers for that much longer, regardless of what of how this particular case plays out. But I'm pretty sure there'll be some form of uh, settlement um, in in this case well it's so, important it seems to me andrew that the that people are viewed as criminals for criminal activity otherwise you know it, it reminds me it's so much like the housing crisis here the uh, you know the the housing bust that occurred with thanks to a great deal of criminal activity not only starting with the federal reserve which creates infinite infinite amounts of money which leads to all kinds of problems but you know we know how the rating agencies were corrupted and how you know, even the Wall Street Journal wouldn't report what was really true because of the, everybody's afraid. And the mining companies that you talk about, they should be up in arms because they and the people that work for them and the communities, as you point out, are being hurt very badly by this criminal activity. And unless, uh, you know, it's just, it just, it's just hard to see how things really get turned around unless somewhere along the line, the people who are the criminals are put in jail. Do, do you agree with that? I mean, I, it's I not that I want, not that I want vengeance, but I mean, we're just seeing, you know, Clinton cash and the things that have gone on with Mrs. Clinton. Now she lost the election, so everybody's sort of backing away. No, I don't think that's what should be done, because unless she, unless people realize the criminal, the crimes that were created, uh, they just sort of whitewash them, and along comes somebody else or the same people do it again and say, well, we'll pay the fines, no big deal, as you say, a slap on the wrist. And, and it should go all the way up the line to the CEO of, of, of these corporations and these banks. Um, they obviously, they cannot deny that they know what's going on. They have to know what's going on. And I think some of this evidence that's come out is so damning uh, that, uh, that it, it leads all the way down the rabbit hole to these mm-hmm. people. And I mm-hmm. think that's why nothing has been uh, discussed openly. And that's why no, no charges have come out. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think that it is plausible uh, that um, it's much like libel. I mean, the regulators, uh, CFTC was was supposedly, uh, by, by strong, strong inference, aware of that for that process for 10 years uh, before, uh, before, I think it was Romy Metz. Um, who blew the uh, who blew that apart with her good analysis mm-hmm. and um, and that was I think that if you remember that was the Bollinger email it, it took it just took one uh, bit of publicity uh, coming out of the woodwork uh, for the whole thing to, to, to blow up I still think that we're going to see that and uh, I don't think this is over by any 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 means at all so yes I think they should uh, these these guys should be put in jail uh, and um, locked up to making a good example 
Andrew, you mentioned patterns. Uh, you know that that there there are patterns that ring true that seem to be that that are very noticeable. I've noticed, you know, uh, just thinking of this last one, where uh, as it became obvious that Trump had a chance to win, the gold market started to rise, the equity market started to tank, uh, and then sure enough, wham, it went the other direction. It seems to me there have been any number of things uh, over the over the many years that I've been following the gold markets, in which you started to have some unexpected black swan that comes out and the immediate reaction is gold goes up and then there's a very rapid turnaround uh what causes it and perhaps you can talk to our listeners those not as familiar with the markets as as you are and uh, to a lesser extent as i am how are how is this manipulation carried forward how is it put into effect uh and you know and, and maybe related to what just happened in the gold markets this past week yeah, and I think particularly this week. It's a great example this week because uh, it's uh, it, it it cannot be ignored. I mean, the, the, the sort of volumes we saw, and and again, uh, much like uh, you, you, I'm sure you and and, and everybody that uh, listens to you, uh, I'm sure was awake and watched this thing unfold, this this uh, elections uh, unfold. And of course, we were uh, in the middle of the small hours here in the UK. Yeah, but it was pretty clear that this all of a sudden. Uh, it's, it appeared that everyone had got it wrong. And now the night before, and even, even I mean, I track the markets for, for our clients all the time and, and for, for our own wholesale business, but um, there was a the, clearly that morning, even after the markets had opened, uh, there was a 90% char- bet in that, that Clinton was going to win. And um, so we saw gold being sold ahead of that. We saw risks spiking up and then bang, all of a sudden, just like deja vu when Brexit, it became, it dawned on people that hang on, this is not working out as we thought it was. And uh, this wrong footing, it caused a massive spike down in Biscon, as we know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, I think I saw the S&Ps down, what, 4.6% at one point, mm-hmm. 100 points. Um, and then we saw a massive spike higher, higher in safe uh, haven gold. But, I mean, a load of people were really frustrated that spike high didn't hold. Well, you know, here's the problem, is that um, the... the the wholesale market had not yet reacted. Now, bear in mind, we're talking about a synthetically driven marketplace. Right. And uh, so what happened was that the uh, synthetic, the knee-jerk reaction, the short covering, the, the spike higher, left the physical market slightly behind. Now, that's not to say the physical market would not have caught up. But now let's face it. People say to me all the time how it's not possible that uh, central banks are, are manipulating gold or, the, if, if, as we call them, officials are not uh, tr- uh, tr- uh, manipulating gold. Well, hang on a minute. Gold is just one component of an FX market. And mm-hmm. it is. So, I mean, people forget it's not just a commodity. It is actually a cash currency. So if mm-hmm. you are long dollar, you're short gold. If you're long gold, you're short dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, all central banks admit to intervening, let's call it a nice word for it, in the currency markets and in the in those markets, particularly every single day. It's a five trillion a day market and, and, and there's management going on. 
But of course, it couldn't possibly extend to gold, uh, even though it's just one <laughs> component of that. So everything else so, but gold. <laughs> everything is possible, but gold or silver. Yeah, absolutely. So, but here, Jay, I think it's important to step back. Look at where the problem lays. It lays with the structure of the synthetic gold market, mm-hmm. which is so highly leveraged and it's paper centric, and it's in the hands of a very few insiders. And I mean. Just look at the COMEX, for example. It's not viewed as a delivery market. It, it's all but a minuscule number of physical parts ever leave the warehouse. Now, delivery, and I'm sure a lot of your, your listeners probably know this, delivery is affected by way of a forklift truck driving pallets of gold or silver across the blue warehouse center line from one side to the other. Sure. Period. Mm. That's it. That's the end of it. It does. There's no nothing exiting that the warehouse. And... You know, I mean, and to be honest, as a wholesaler, I don't want none of it. Nobody I know, nobody wants to have to uh, to, to to take to delivery and have to re-refine lower quality quality nine nine five Comex bars into the more fungible four nines kilo bars that that we all trade and 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 it, it, I'm talking about physically trade and physically deliver. So. You know, these 9995 bars, to me, I see these bars as casino chips. <laughs> they don't, they're not wanted. Now, now because no one is expected to take physical delivery, uh, the Comex Exchange has become, this This is the why I call it a casino, a casino. And what I mean by that is that the speculators, or the hot, or money as we call them, can be relied upon to never take delivery. So, they become the regular target for the insiders. And, you know, so people say, yeah, but hang on, there's a long to every short. So mm-hmm, all things yeah. ought to be equal. And and agreed, it ought to be equal. And and so and all arguments denying manipulation anchor on that very valid point. However, it is the very nature of this large synthetic open interest structure that sets up bouts of insider-controlled uh, directional short selling. And I'm referring to the long-standing wash-and-rinse cycle that we saw an example of uh, this week and since the election. And um, I mean, really, this creates unnecessary volatility and has many traders and investors wary about investing in gold or silver. And that's the net result of all this volatility. Um, so, you know, I mean, I could, you know, Jay, I could go on and on and on and bore, I don't want to bore your, your, well, your, your, your listeners here. No, you're, you're certainly not boring them, but I, I just uh, have to pass on one question from a listener who knew you were coming on. He said, please ask Andrew uh, in your upcoming inter- interview, when on earth is this thing going to be resolved? Uh, Andrew's been talking about uh, an end to this, this horrible crime, uh, this manipulation, but when is very soon. How soon? And, and when and what would cause it to happen? Uh, I've got about two and a half minutes for you to answer that question if you can, Andrew. Yeah, okay. Well, and that's exactly why <clears throat> I'm now, uh, regulators having done nothing, I'm now uh, associated myself with the allocated bullion exchange. And this is the question, is when will this end exactly? Uh, it's because the physical markets are migrating away from the control of the paper markets, Jay. And uh-huh. it, it, 
and this is an unstoppable situation. And it's what it is, as the physical market takes control, it's sucking out liquidity from the paper markets. And as more investors seek to take delivery of their paper, gold and silver positions and vault them independently outside the legacy banking system, it forces the unwind of unallocated positions and it forces the fractional reserve bullion banks to buy at the market to fulfill delivery demands. This is what we're going to see in 2017, Jay. We're going to see this 92 to 1, uh, 92 ounces to 1 ounce held, unwind. So you think 2017 could be the big earthquake in, the, in these markets, potentially? I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely certain of it. And uh, never before, uh, and that's, as I say, I, I'm not just touting the allocated bullion exchange uh, because, I, because I sit on the advisory board. I am telling you that this is the first institutional electronic alternative platform that's going to enable institutions to trade in size and and avert all the counterparty risk of dealing on the unallocated paper markets all right why why would you trade an unallocated contract if you could equally trade a fully physical contract it's a very good point. Well, I, I hope we can talk some more about the allocated bullion exchange. Andrew, if we could have you back sometime, I'd love to do that because I'd like to know more about it uh, and have our listeners know more about it. And and I guess it's a wholesale market, but nonetheless, there are retail uh, institutions, too, that are setting up uh, to get people out of the banking system and into real money and real gold. So. I want to thank you so much for being with us today, Andrew, and uh, all the best to you. I, I really applaud your efforts. I think they're moral, they're good, and we need more people like you who are brave and willing to stand up for what's right. So thank you very much for being with us today, uh, and hopefully we can have you back again sometime soon. Jay, it would be a real pleasure. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Next week, Jim Rickards will be with us, and he's going to talk about the decline, the financial status of the Anglo-American empire, and, and why those changes are diminishing the political power the United States has at the IMF. So we'll see what James Rickards has to say. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently processing a 30,000-ton bulk sample. Novo also controls 100% interest in the Blue Speck Gold Antimony Project, where it is conducting a 10,000-meter drill program. The company has over $7 million in cash and enjoys strong shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbol NVO and NSRPF respectively.